Hello, I'm Simon Burton and welcome to Arts Roundup, a show that takes us into an artist's ice cube studio space to see her work, gets to grips with sculpture that is wet, and hears of a famous Cambridge scientific tale retold in a play with a brand new slant. In this edition, artist Chloe Leeper talks on her drawing and latest sculptural work at Changing Spaces in Norfolk Street. We preview the forthcoming Art Language Location Festival with artists Robert Good, Sue Shepherd, and Susie Allchak. Art conservator Penny Heath explains why her annual Art In and Out of the Garden event has become a key fixture on the local arts calendar. Playwright Rani Drew appeals for actors in her new and topical play on Crick and Watson's discovery of the DNA double helix and a very special woman's contribution behind the research. And we look forward to November's Cambridge Christmas exhibition with local painter Joe Tumner. Watching a piece of sculpture actually being made as it happens by a working artist isn't something you get to see that often in Cambridge, but if you've been down Norfolk Street just lately you may have noticed an ice cube window setup provided in what used to be the Ark, a completely whitened gallery space in which interesting things are going on before your eyes. I dropped in on Changing Spaces artist-in-residence Chloe Leeper, who's been building what I would describe as a visual mesh or grid sculpture with diagonally posited wire lines suspended in the air against the corner space with a corresponding hand-drawn backdrop that simply had to be investigated because it's so strange, complex and wonderful. Chloe, you've got some fantastic things on display here which we're going to talk about, but first of all, tell me a bit about yourself. You, you um, studied in Cambridge originally, didn't you? Yes, yeah, I've, um, I've grew up in Cambridge, so I did my foundation at CRC, and then after that got onto a course in London, and I've only just moved back to Cambridge, having completed my MA at City and Guild, so I've just come back, and this is a uh, very lucky first opportunity for me. <laughs> but you've, you've done lots of exciting things in the past. I know that you've been head of the foundation of the Art Academy in yep, London, yep. Um, that you're also a senior lecturer at the Inchbold School of Design in London, yep. um, and also you regularly lecture at the British Museum. What do you do there? Yeah, um, I've been lucky enough to be asked back a number of times to do different workshops um, based on on, uh, various different exhibitions that they have themed at the time so lots of clay portraiture when they had the Roman portraiture exhibition a frieze workshop when they had um, something to do with friezes and I've also um, been on the very energy sapping uh, British Museum sleepovers running four workshops in the evening with um, 40 kids ago. <laughs> a sleepover? I, mean, that, that's, that's I like... didn't sleep over. <laughs> I was allowed to go home at 12, that, which that, was nice. <laughs> that, that sounds like a wonderful project. OK, we've come to have a look at some of your work here, which has displayed us, um, uh, some, some wonderful um, uh, black and white... Um, would you call them drawings, your, your paintings? Or yeah, whatever? I think that's the territory that overall they would fit into because they're primarily about spatial delineation mm -hmm. and that really is a language that is most found and con concentrated and concerned within drawings theory. So actually, yeah, there are some obviously direct drawings and then the installations show the drawings sort of effectively coming off the wall in three-dimensional linear elements. Um, that, that, that they have um, lots and lots of very closely associated um, lines in them that have sort of different degrees of depth and what have you. Yeah. Um, and obviously you're, you're showing these paintings which um, have a very, um, you know, visually very interesting because they, 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 they have depth in the space and they have um, lots of um, uh, very uh, um, striking shapes in them. Um, but um, it's really about a certain area of consciousness, isn't it? Yeah, um, yeah, that's a nice way of putting it, actually. Yeah. Um, and um, um, what is the original idea behind them? Because um, Plato's study of forms were part of it, weren't they? Yeah, it, it basically, it's been about the last, the last three years, there's been a number of different sort of ideas that I've been 
looking into and, and, and coming across that actually have all sort of fed into this, rather than this being didactically about a certain theme. So Plato certainly, the theory of forms um, postulating that there are, like, like many religions and philosophies actually, postulating that there, are, there is the ideal realm, um, which is also the case within mm. mathematics, for instance, this ideal mathematical abstract realm mm. that you can only ever get rough approximation so everyone has a notion of what a perfect circle is but of course a real perfect circle can't ever exist so I was yeah. quite interested in, in the relationship between those levels of perfection and imperfection as being the temporal experience of well one of the temporal experiences of being human I suppose so it's something that's that's quite you know quite interesting to most people um, and then other things lots of references yeah. I'm also very interested having uh, taught architectural theory for, an, uh, for a number of years and that really because of the connections with space and spatial psychology that really informs my work both in the visual language but also in in the feeling and the experience of space as being something that's actually quite fractured because it's it's you move through space you don't stand and get a whole sense of something mm. that only happens on architects drawings you know it's sort of two-dimensional things and three-dimensional things and then things that cross over from the abstract yeah. conscious mind into real space as well yeah. Uh, yeah yeah well actually one of the things that kind of spurred this spurred all this theoretical endeavor has actually been my personal experience of the often disconnection between mental space and consciousness and positing yourself in the external world and actually that being quite a difficult translation sometimes for, for me anyway and so uh, that led me to to i suppose discover a lot of these theories that that dealt with with this experience in different ways. Uh, and when you're um, uh, leading in here to yeah. describe to our listeners, in the shop there's this absolutely <laughs> fantastic um, sculpture which is in 3D, which has um, a backdrop of white walls with um, lots of um, uh, uh, lines at various angles. And then coming out from that, you have suspended in the air lots and lots of grey lines which correspond with them. Um, and it's also offered a diagonal in one corner, which makes it quite spectacular visually. And you've used the whole room to do that. This must have taken you hours. <laughs> it did, it did. It, um, it took about building the wall as well. Um, it, took, it took about five weeks, um, I suppose, because the drawing itself on the back wall. Because I, I like to continually be interested and challenged in my work. And if I was going to have planned out the installation exactly and then just built it, I, I don't learn as much as if I know roughly the area in which I'm working and then develop it. So the first three weeks of that build were quite nerve-wracking as you see something come into life and keep that dialogue with it so that you're not, set in, you're not saying, this is what I'm going to make. You're, mm. you're looking and keeping mm. that very connected. So, so you, you, can't, you can't actually plan it, you just have to build it when you've yeah, got the space. Yeah, yeah, I knew how I was going mm. to do it, mm. and, but I, I couldn't say for certain exactly how it would look. But I knew, I think you have to retain... Although the visual language was quite established mm. through the drawings, mm. I developed that. You had to retain a sort of an overall sort of feeling, atmosphere, uh, kind of temperature that you mm. were aiming for, and that was the governing thing. Mm. And you know, if you're hitting mm. that, that's the main thing. That's what's going to affect people. Now, now that's in the, the the drawings that you have in black and white. But also, the sculpture is like a kind of interface, isn't it? That, yeah. that, that shows you that whole process <laughs> yeah. of going from from abstract things to concrete things in real space. So you're yeah. actually you're actually you've explored the reality that we actually live live within but don't actually notice if you said i mean you've created <laughs> right. something a piece of art that yeah. kind of expresses that and that's yeah. been quite a difficult thing to get your head around to well, be able to do that. yeah well i suppose it was because my head was like that, that yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. this is what my mind yeah. looks like yeah. Yeah. so i think actually yeah that's a it's a really succinct way of putting it yeah. and that certainly was what i was aiming for and i think that the best you can do obviously as an artist most people you're making art because it is, it, it's your vision of the world that's yeah. why you're, you're not just representing, you're, you're kind of, this is sort of how I understand things to be, mm. and this is how I, how space feels for me, and for, mm. you know, and... and is it also that kind of tunnel between the waking and sleeping world? Is that a space that you try to occupy as well? well but, you know, uh, yeah, yeah, in that, yeah. it's a very fragmented yeah. time, yeah. and actually, to, to the beginning of the installation, when I was, it was completely in my mind all of the time, just before I was going to sleep, mm. I would get flashes of this kind of linear patterning mm. in my mind just as I was going because it was so, uh, it felt so much like that little transition where you go from lo the logic of consciousness into the, mm. you know, the abstract surrealist world of dreams and you're just at that beginning where consciousness mm. is, 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 is breaking its, its rationale. So yes, I think that's probably a good... Do, do you find it terribly parallel. exciting when you actually create a piece of art like this that really does 
capture what you're after basically yeah <laughs> which, which of course you can only in one sense you can only really know when you get feedback from people mm. but I mean to me I got to a, I got to a state with it where it, it did what I what I wanted for, for me and then you just have to see and luckily I've had uh, you know, we've had Angie and I at this exhibition have had some amazingly informed, articulate, n not necessarily informed in terms of being artists or anything, but just people that were very aware, very engaged with observation and um, and could articulate this. So we've had some, you know, I've had some great feedback that shows that this has achieved, mm. for an, at least a number of people, this has achieved what I was hoping to sort of bring to people's attention, I suppose. And obviously another influence on this has been um, Eve um, Lomax. Um, yes. Now, how does that tie in with this? She was somebody I discovered in uh, when I was on my MA course at Sitting Guilds, and um, she's a wonderfully poetic writer. She, and the, the thing that I was finding hard is that when I was writing my thesis at the time, I was dealing with a lot of very heavy theory talking about trialectic space and the breakdown of the Descartian dualism of mind and body. And it was going into very heavy, I enjoy philosophy, but it was, it was stretching me. And actually I was recommended by my tutor to read a passage of Eve Lomax. And what was so wonderful is because of her poeticism, she was dealing with some of these ideas, or at least I drew parallel with these ideas, but because of the way she expressed herself, I could feel it. So rather than being, you know, the physics of how spatial perceptions work or um, certain philosophers who were a, a very, very hmm. rational and very obtuse for me, <laughs> yeah. I found somebody that um, expressive of the ideas for me in my interpretation of them. And so that poeticism and particularly because I am interested in words and words help me in the... Um, the kind of the, the the resonance and the the emotive quality of words. I found that actually some of her phrases and the way that she was talking with space and well happenings and events happening that I interpreted as being in space that I was able to get much more of this this important abstract emotive uh, grasp of what I was trying to do. I, I read in your bio there's a quotation from her: "The noise that sounds the restless and multiplicity of the world." See, isn't that wonderful? <laughs> yeah. She's. I think when you read something like that after you've had a lot of people just talking quite straightly about multiplicity and singularity, to read that and the, even the rhythm of it, because I come from a musical background and. I think that that is, is, is kind of quite important in, in your choice of structuring, particularly time-based, spatial-based media. And I think that that comes through with her words so strongly mm. that it really helped actually the development of my language, her verbal language, actually helped develop my conceptual ideas, but also helped develop my visual language. When is your next exhibition coming up and where is it? The next exhibition will actually be here, which yeah. is wonderful. Um, Angie was very kind to, again, offer me um, a, a sort of a residency project space exhibition because this was so successful particularly this idea of the glass cube whereby people can see the piece being made piece, yeah. so they and I have had a lot of people come and say oh I've been watching this thing which is great because that's mm. sort of what you want so that although you have maybe a lot of this this theory that mm. it's more about the experience mm. often you are faced with walking into a space and, and it's just there whereas I think I, you know, the, the work is very experiential, like I say, although it comes from a theoretical, strong theoretical mm. background. It's about just experiencing. You don't need to have read any of that, you know, mm. to get this. So I think that, yeah, I've been very lucky again to have been offered the space over the Christmas period. So mm. no holiday for me. But <laughs> um, I'm going to rework and redevelop a piece that I did called The Murmuring Corner, which references Lomax's mm. language of the murmuring, uh, mm. the murmuring multiples. Mm. And um, that's going to be much more immersive. And that will be in uh, around the second week of... of of January it will open uh, for a couple of weeks. So, so changing spaces has been really important for you then Absolutely. as an artist. Absolutely, yeah, yeah, yeah. uh, fantastic. I, uh, it's, it's amazing, particularly as an installationist, to have the opportunity, because even as an installationist with the type of work I do, getting the build time is very difficult. And that was one of the ideas for, for having this glass cube mm. project space, is that in a way that although my, ex my exhibiting time is lessened, people get to see the make, so the gallery isn't sort of shut up for five weeks. It's, it's still able to somehow have a life, it's still able to go on. And Luckily, um, Angie invited me back um, to work with her in a joint exhibition, which will open in January, so I'll build another immersive um, installation this time. And that will be from January the uh, 11th until uh, January the 19th, with a private view on the night of the 11th. Fantastic. Thank you very much. <laughs> Thank you very much.
Angie, great to see you um, again. We're now in the other half of the Changing Spaces Gallery, down the stairs, and we've got some of your work here, um, which you've done something slightly strange with, which is you've, 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 you've freed them from their frames and just stuck them on the wall as canvases. W why did you do that? Yes, I, I, it's a way, really, because we're so used to looking at paintings on a frame hanging on a wall, and we've got such an amazing history um, with painting that it's difficult in a way I'm, I'm trying to get people to look at them with a fresh eye and to look at the, how they're at the process of how they're actually made yeah. what actually goes on with a painting behind yeah. at the back of it really mm -hmm. so I kind of st um, I've kind of torn them off took them off the frames torn them into sections so that they're, they're fragments of the, of the painting as a whole and then opened out the bare canvas and what I'm looking at is emerging things that are emerging from within the canvas yeah. or from within the board because these are obviously done on wood. So I'm, I'm looking at shapes, also almost like automatic shapes that mm. come, yeah. come out from, yeah. from within the actual centre, mm. the sort of imminence of, mm. of what's going on. So that's what, what they're about. So they're, they're kind of living things. So you've got this dark red, almost like yeah. blood um, quality to it. So then yes, you've got yeah. shapes in, in, in brighter yellows and things like that coming out of the, the dark red background. Yeah. Um, is, is that, it, it's more kind of, it's more physiological than psychological, would you say? I think uh, so, yeah, yes. Yeah, yeah. You know, I don't, I don't think they are psychological in the sense. I mean, I think they're automatic mm. type paintings, but... Um, I it's more like really looking at something real of flesh than looking at yeah, something. Yeah, yeah, yeah that, that's interesting. And that, that ties in with those earlier works mm, yeah. as well, which which we were looking at mm. last time you interviewed me. So. Yeah, yeah. Angie, as one of the brains behind Changing Spaces, can you tell me a little bit about what what we can look forward to in the coming months? Yes. And uh, now, as you most probably know, King Street is is coming to an end, mm -hmm. and we've got Norfolk Street that we're working from. We we want to really aim for it eventually to be like more like a project space where we can do what, what Chloe and I have done. In the next couple of weeks, there's a few uh, illustration shows happening. Then there's Robert Good's um, art location language, which will be very, very exciting. But after Christmas and because it, towards Christmas, a lot of people have Christmas lets. Yeah. So a lot of the empty spaces are occupied for Christmas lets. Mm. After that, things shift and change, and I, I'm definitely not worried about mm. not getting a place. Yeah. I think we yeah. will have a, another space as well as this. Mm. Uh, that's absolutely fantastic. Angie, thank you for showing me your paintings, and I look forward to some more Changing Spaces Excellent. treats coming up in the future. Good. Thank you very Wonderful. much. You're listening to Arts Roundup on Cambridge 105. She's right. If you don't. 
don't know what to say Well, that's all right Don't know what to do Remember, she is just as scared as you Don't be shy, even when it hurts to say Remember, you're gonna get hurt someday anyway And you must lift your head A new festival concerned with art, language and a rationale for the particular public space it occupies kicks off this October with exhibitions in venues across the city. Art Language Location brings together 40 artists from the city who will create artworks in public spaces that explore ideas of text and place, following on from last year's popular text and context series. The collaboration has essentially been founded by former Cambridge School of Art artists and is currently linked to the forthcoming Cambridge University Festival of Ideas, bringing together the necessary resources needed to stage public artwork in the city and it now has its own online resources and networking hub designed to make things happen on shoestring budgets and perhaps with a spot of help from the City Council. Here's artist founder Robert Good with Sue Shepherd, an artist working with Neon Signage, and artist Susie Allchak, who also works with Light. Robert, um, you're, you're doing all kinds of interesting things um, in Cambridge at the moment, which we've, we've kind of come to talk about. Um, but um, just to talk a little bit about your past, you, you're um, someone who's involved in lots of arts things here, and you were winner of the Searle Award for creativity. Um, well, I was studying at Anglia Ruskin University at the Cambridge School of Art, oh. and uh, did a Master of Fine Art, and um, as part of that there was a, a Searle Award competition, and I constructed a, a great big installation uh, with uh, a Twitter feed and uh, a printer and so on on the theme of crisis and um, they seemed to like it so that was good for me. Um, last time um, I spoke to you guys you were doing um, text and context um, which was um, um, a series of things that were going on in the city. Uh, um, how, how did that um, project um, pan out in the end? It was great no it was it was very it was um, it was actually last October and mm. um, uh, it went very well and it was the kind of forerunner for what we're doing this year. We, in fact um, at the time we we said oh we'll never do that again it was so much work so much effort you know but in fact we enjoyed it and we wanted to do it again and to to um, build on it really the whole thing of the exhibition was that you had uh, a location um, that was uh, uh, quite prevalent in the in the actual work itself I had um, chosen a, a reality checkpoint as the as the piece that I wanted to be next to, uh, and that henceforth the you are here. But it had a lot a lot bigger meaning than that. Um, but it was quite a quite a challenge to do it. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. But it was fun, really good fun to do. I, and you've worked with people like um, the film director Ridley Scott on projects in the past, yeah, haven't you? Yeah. Are you doing anything with him at the moment? <laughs> no, 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 not at all. <laughs> I've worked on a lot of. Uh, uh, commercials with him in mm. the 80s and that was fun too. Mm -hmm. yeah. Dizzy, um, what brings you here today? Is it, is it part of Art Language Location? Are you doing a particular project? Or? Um, so, well I'm, I'm here kind of, uh, I'm, I'm doing the publicity for Art Language Location and mm. helping on the organisational team, so helping, helping Robert to, to put everything together mm. and I'm also doing a collaborative piece with Sue um, for for art language location this year, and is this again ideas of art, text, and place? I think so. Yes, we wanted to kind of. Uh, 
bring it all together with 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 a with a, um, a linking idea, which is text and language and its relationship to art and so on. So all of the artworks have got some sort of link to language. But over and above that, we wanted people to place their artworks in a space that is sympathetic to the work. So everybody has to go out and find a space dotted around Cambridge that fits their work. Okay, tell me a bit about um, Art Language um, Location. It's a new website. It seems to be plugged into lots and lots of different things. Um, what was its purpose and how did it come into being? Well, it just kind of grew like Topsy, really. We wanted to try and get um, all the artists on the website and the number of artists involved kind of kept growing and it's been a collaborative pro project in that we've kind of had to get locations, we've had to get um, people to help us and so every time somebody uh, comes on board on the project, we add them onto the website and um, link them in. So we're all linked in together hmm. and uh, try and um, you know use that as the main way in which people can find out about the project. You're your partner organisations are people like Aidan Lebet, Kettle's Yard, Cambridge School of Art um, and various others. So can you give me an example of some of the things that you're actually doing in those locations and how those partnerships work? Yeah. Well, one of them that we've got, the Festival of Ideas, we're doing some um, work on the Sidgwick site, um, mm. which is uh, Sidgwick Avenue. And uh, we've got about uh, eight or nine artists who are working uh, on, on locations around that site. Um, and that's been facilitated by the university who have been really helpful with us. But then, for example, um, there's a bookshop called Plurabel Books on uh, the Homerton business uh, site. Um, and somebody's uh, painting a new mural for us on the side of the wall there. So mm. lots of lots of interesting things going on. Mm -hmm. And you also have a connection with the Scance Publishing, don't you? Indeed, yeah. yes, yes. Um, that's um, uh, Caroline Jane. Mm. And uh, she um, publishes some books. And she uh, very kindly published one of mine <laughs> a little while ago. Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So you're bringing together writers, um, organisations and artists to do specific things. Can you tell me a bit about your project? We're working on um, an, a neon installation mm -hmm. that's going to be exhibited just near Magdalen Bridge it's... in the city centre. Um, it's going to be a kind of abstract version of the word reflect and the idea is that it reflects into the cam and the river and um, the, the viewer can read the, the text within the river. Mm -hmm. So we're kind of, we're busy <laughs> making making now, making the frame and mm. um, sorting out all the, all the neon mm -hmm. and working out the logistics for installing a piece of... Uh, so it's, it's neon, shivering water, reflections. It sounds as though it's, it's like part of the Illuminate Festival of Light. Is, is, is there a connection with that as well? Because um, that's coming up again, isn't it, quite soon? Um, yes, yeah. that's in February. In February, yeah. yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's something that we are in. We're both involved in as well, so mm -hmm. uh, it it does have its connections. <laughs> um, now, with the the festival of ideas, which of course is is just about to 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 come round again. Um, what's your connection there? What happens with that? <laughs> well, they've been really helpful in um, uh, helping us to find some locations, and they've got a main. Um, open day on the 26th of October on the Sidgwick site and um, as part of that um, we've got some uh, performances and we've got a pop-up gallery and we've got a little shop all around that people could come and visit. So we've got events on all day. Mm -hmm. so, so the concept with, with what you do basically is that if you're an artist and you're coming into the Cambridge um, scene and you have some idea of what you want to do, your organisation basically helps people fit them with the right at the right place and the right contacts and what have you to, yeah, to, to, to make a, it work quickly. It's, yeah. it's a very it's a very collaborative project. Mm -hmm. It's a matter of forming partnerships. You know, we don't have a lot of funding. We don't have a lot of money to spare. But it's a matter of just uh, having conversations with people, finding venues and and um, owners who are interested in working with us, hosting an artwork, which for them can be exciting as well as for the artists. And um, and making some connections that way, and um, we're we're raising funds for Oxfam, a little, a little charity um, partnership. So we'd like to raise some funds. So artists are donating postcards for sale in the Oxfam shop, and we're also raising funds during the course of the exhibition. But for example, Barefoot Wines are providing the wine for our opening event free of charge, so that that will enable us to raise some funds for Oxfam on their behalf. So that's a really important. Uh, benefit for us um, and um, uh, Travis Perkins have provided some materials outspoken cycles 
um, mm. are doing an advert on the side of their cycles going around Cambridge. Mm. Um, so lots of nice little hookups where you know they can help us out, and in return we can provide them with a little bit of artwork. What are the new and emerging writers in your project doing at the moment, and what's coming up that, that you might be able to preview for us as th things that people might... Well, we've got some really, <laughs> really interesting ones this year. It's, it's, it is fascinating to see how all the kind of creativity and the different people's ideas come about. One that's really nice um, is going to be taking place in the window of the Christian Science Reading Room on, on Regent Street. Um, and that all came about because the artist, Theresa Harrison, found some... Um, letters that have been discarded and she was curious as to what the correspondence was all about and she traced all the way back to this lady who used to a volunteer uh, for Christian Science and it turns out that the people who are based there now remembered her mm. so she's doing a whole exhibition around these lost letters that have been found mm. um, and that's going to be in the window there so that'll be a nice one uh, for people to see mm. um, and we've got some postcards that have been going to be going in some news agents windows uh, with some lonely hearts mm. uh, adverts with a twist mm. all that now, now you're doing um, things with, with light um, obviously lots of other cities in, in in Europe do this especially in places like Italy but to come to a place like Cambridge and do it you have fantastic backdrops to do those things in is that a, a really special opportunity for you as an artist yeah I think it's really it's a really interesting city mm. Mm. So, so I did a piece last year um, in the grounds of Senate mm. House mm. A lighting piece and that was a really incredible space to be doing a piece of artwork and I think that's what's special about art language location as a festival is it it gives artists opportunities to work in places they wouldn't normally consider mm. for an artwork so we're we're doing our art, art pieces that aren't in galleries mm. and that are in Mm -hmm. kind of everyday spaces in I, shops and I mean, I've noticed when walking around in places like Venice you know you, mm -hmm. you, you notice a passageway and suddenly it's full of shoes that go on for hundreds of, <laughs> of yards <laughs> and things like that and, and Cambridge is becoming more like that isn't it because you know when you walk around you don't realise that people are starting to really use the public spaces to do mm -hmm. things like that and it is actually a big change in the, in, in the city especially in the evenings isn't it because um, it's making it much more culturally interesting and this website seems to be mm -hmm. a good touch point for all of that. I think that's definitely true. I think um, what's interesting is that, is that Cambridge is becoming more an arts um, venue where, where it more is happening and that's that's really encouraging and really exciting. Yeah, yeah. definitely. And with, it's not just Cambridge artists who are doing art language location, but we've got artists from across the UK, people coming from uh, Liverpool and Sussex and uh, Darlington and from abroad as well. So we're bringing other new um, artists into Cambridge as well, which is which is great for us to uh, it's a, a new and exciting um arts hub on the internet it's called art language location is it dot com or dot org dot org art language location dot org um take a look at it if you've got any interest in the arts in cambridge thank you all very much indeed for coming in thank you thank Thanks. you Every garden has its own tale to tell in this extraordinary city of ours, but few can compete with that of art conservator Penny Heath when she stages her annual Art In and Out of the Garden event. You might think that when over 200 local academics, art buffs and artists themselves are invited to enjoy a pick of the region's sculptures in a spacious garden and inside view paintings and ceramics, that a spot of rain might spoil the ambiance, but quite the opposite turns out to be true. A huge bank of umbrellas wait in kind anticipation with the wine, and a series of fire baskets light up the scene, putting a whole new flickering visual slant on the remarkable work on display. Penny introduces a show which also raises funds for cancer support charity Maggie's Wallace at Addenbrooke's Hospital. 
But Penny, tell me about yourself. You're an art um, conservator, is yes, that right? Yes, yes. What does well, that involve exactly? Um, well, I call it my day job, but I'm actually a, a paper conservator, um, which means I restore and conserve works of art and paper, um, which is very exacting, and I you know, work in my studio looking after other people's works of art. Um, and I suppose the essence of this show is that it's the contrast, it's me being allowed to be creative. But this is the absolutely classic archetypal British event. It, it's um, beautifully laid out in your garden here in, in Wilberforce Road. Lots of wonderful sculptures to look at. Um, fires in various quarters of the garden to, yeah. to warm people. Lots of wine and things like that. But of course it's pouring with rain. Yes. <laughs> do, do, you think that, do you think that bothers people much in Cambridge? Well, I think this is absolutely fascinating. And I think it's, you know, one could be sort of pretentious to say it's the power of beauty and art, but yeah. it, it does, it, it is something about this show. People say it's the highlight of the year. Mm. And I think they love the informality of it. And, um, and I think that's, it's the fact it's a domestic environment and we're, we're showing art, but we don't even mention the word sale. It's here for pleasure, for enjoyment. There's wit, there's beauty, mm. there's harmony. And, and um, the fact that people are prepared to come out on a, you know, a rain with a, with a weather front forecast. Well, well, you, you, you've um, provided a huge bank of umbrellas so that people can have umbrellas as they walk around. Can you take me on a quick um, tour around the garden? What is there to see this year? Um, interesting. Um, well, a, there's a, a rather, there is a rather beautiful garden with its September plantings, um, but we've also got about 20 artists um, some who've shown before, some who haven't. And we've got an extraordinary range of kinetic sculptures, which are very eye-catching and subtle. Um, there's a wonderful um, stone vessels made by somebody who's really a dry stone waller and made this extraordinary, um, I can't describe it, satisfying shapes, but very grounded. Um, we have a lot of um, welded metal work. Um, those um, are very interesting. That's kind of drawing in the air with metal. Um, who, which yeah. um, sculptor did those? Yes, uh, she's uh, someone called Melissa, Melissa Pierce Murray, yeah. who we haven't shown before. Um, her, her art is, is one of those things that you get drawn in at, at many levels. To begin with, you just see an outline, you think that's interesting. And then you realise that she's actually almost like, if you like, drawing with metal. Um, making out, outlines of figures. But she's also um, very involved with sort of dance and movement. In fact, one of her figurative pieces, she's been asked to join up with a choreographer because they're, they're so interested in the sort of solidity of this um, of this form. Um, mm. It's hard to explain without seeing it. But, but they're great <laughs> to encounter in a garden space like this. They're very much an outdoor thing. Um, and also these enormous, um, what look like um, huge birds' nests. Um, yes. In, in Cain, who's are those? Yes, those are one. That's an artist called Sue Kirk, who yeah. um, I think she's from Rutland way and uh, she is just does this magic things with willow um, and turns sort of willow weaving basket onto a completely extraordinary scale and as you say they're enormous they're sort of almost two meters high um, she's a petite person she rides a huge van and we need, need two men to lift these pieces that they're they're, they're they're willow woven around a, a metal metal frame Mm. And um, willow's very robust, actually. Yeah. Um, so although they're sitting under a willow tree looking stunning, you know, they'll last five years, and then she'll re-maintain it. She'll, re mm. she'll re-stitch them, if you like. Um, and there's um, one or two other things tucked away in some of the corners here. Um, what are those? Um, well, we've got um, some, some extraordinary um, some work made by someone called Richard Bray, who does this wonderful work with wood. Um, he finds sort of mulberry wood and it might sit in the studio for eight years and just manages to, to carve. It's very intricate. Um, it's, a, it's very hard to explain, but there's, there's, there's so much going on, the sort of energy from carving and light and curves and mm. folds, and mm. they're mesmerising. They're absolutely mesmerising when the sh shadow falls on uh, there. And how do you decide what you're going to put in your show and what you're not going to put in oh, it? Oh, that, well? that's uh, getting more and more difficult because uh, so many people what, what, you know, would like to show with us. Um, we are a bit selective, but I try to rotate it. We try to have a change of artists, introduce a couple of new people every year, um, and you know, we drop people one year and come back again. But actually, we're a slightly victim of our own success. Hmm. And and um, and I think my skill is is placing things very well. I do uh, this power of sort of harmony and balance is terribly important. It's really inside me, and I, I internally and externally. Hmm. That's why this garden is very interesting. It's great to use a, a large space like this. But um, last year you had um, a wonderful um, shed with a camera box um, oh, kind yes. of setup in it, yes. which was yes. um, lots of people enjoyed that. What, yes. what are the highlights of this year? Yes, I, was, I like that. I like to do um, an installation if you like, yeah. and actually commission something. Um, I probably haven't had quite the same focus of a, of a singular installation, but 
there is I mean I think I've introduced the, the breezes like to, mm. tonight because of the, the fire elements and yeah. the fire pits it's very atmospheric people people have just loved it I yeah. mean you know, the yeah. fact they're still here I don't know it's getting up at 9 o'clock at night it's pouring with rain it's dark and they're still wandering around and with they're their still drinks, arriving the sculptures with an umbrella yes, yeah, yes, yeah, yes. Yeah, lovely. Uh, and who are the artists that are actually here this evening uh, well it's uh, such a long list and I feel awful I started listing and leaving one out but mm. you know we've got Cambridge as um, Eric Marland we have um, Richard Bray Eve Corder I mean, I could. I, I, I'm going to leave somebody out, but yeah. um, I yeah. could. Could um, and, and actually, the other thing I like I've done because I, I love to um, help younger artists yeah. and people perhaps have been less fortunate. And um, you know, I say social benefits, but it's good. And, and I have two fantastic um, people who help me in the garden. Um, and you know, one cuts my grass and one you know mends things for me. And they both got works here because mm. they're artists, they're craftsmen. Mm. And there's a fantastic bench which we've actually sold three. Mm. And um, my lovely man Dragan Chorovich has made this very elegant bird bath. Mm. And in fact, I only I all sound pretentious, but I only have artists working in my garden. Mm -hmm. But people respond to it. Everyone loves working here. And mm. They work with me. What, what an exciting event. Uh, Penny Heath, um, thank you very much indeed for inviting me to your um, Art in the Garden event. It's really wonderful. Uh, it's a pleasure and it's such fun having you. Thank you. Thank you. You're listening to Arts Roundup on Cambridge 105. of unravelling the mystery of DNA and how it passes genetic traits from one generation to another by Cambridge scientist Crick and Watson in the 1950s has been featured on TV lately and particularly their legendary victory roll pint of beer at the Eagle pub in Bennett Street on the day of the breakthrough discovery of the molecular structure of DNA, the double helix. The subject has been debated hotly in Cambridge University halls recently and there's an angle which hasn't been fully aired from the history books. It led a local feminist playwright to create a new three-act play due to be staged later in the year. Cambridge playwright and writer Rani Drew's new play, The Unsung Heroine of DNA, tells the story of Rosalind Franklin, without whose research contribution the breakthrough Crick and Watson made might never have been achieved. A brand new play, it's called The Unsung Heroine of DNA? Yes. So you're, you're, you've based your play um, against this true life backdrop. Yes. Um, and um, what inspired you to create a play from this story? I mean, had you been reading about it anyway and just got Well, what happened was many, many years ago, mm. um, there was a call from uh, uh, one of the groups, and I think it may have been right on, uh, that called for six uh, playwrights to write six parts of the um, the double helix, uh, sorry, the yes, the double helix um, announcement in the Eagle Pub, um, and this was, uh, I think, it must have been on the fiftieth anniversary, something mm. like that. So it wasn't that long ago then, and so I was one of the six people. But a neighbour of of uh, ours, uh, she told me that she had a disease which she inherited from her mother and her mother inherited from her. Mm, yeah. So I uh, brought that in and I brought in the announcement at the Eagle mm. and I wrote just the first part oh, yeah. but they didn't go along with that. Mm. So that was waiting mm. and when uh, in March I read this um, uh, this this uh, piece, Rosalind Franklin was a Newnham College student. Mm. She was a biology and chemistry mm. and you know you mm. do everything. Um, and uh, the Newnham College people um, uh, uh, decided in the 60th anniversary, which is this year, to put up a plaque for her also. Right. So when I read this paper, I thought, oh, you know, this has come back. Yeah. So I wrote a 15 minute long play uh, about putting this together with my 
mm. way back uh, um, uh, play also. Mm. And then I thought, um, you know, after sort of, you know, yeah. July, yeah. I thought, well, maybe I should write a longer play. Yeah. So I went out and I booked the the uh, hall, mm. which is the mm. uh, English department mm. studio. Yeah. Um, and then I said, well, I must write that now. Mm. And it, you know, for three weeks, I was just nonstop writing this play. What is the basic plot? Because I gather it's about the race to completing the DNA um, uh, project, um, but it's riddled with um, a story of deceit and cunning. What? Yes. Well, uh, uh, Rosalind Franklin was only... I think she was only 30 years old when she came to Cambridge. Yeah. She she uh, she died at the age of 37 um, uh, in 1958. Yeah. So uh, she was very young. She had been working, uh, first she worked for, on coal virus in uh, Kingston. Then she was, uh, she had a job in Paris and then uh, she thought she'd come and do this work on on mm. the DNA um, or the double D DNA structure. Um, so she came here. Now she was a bit, she was very French in, in terms of, you know, the way she looked at people and looked mm -hmm. at life and enjoyment mm. and other things. Um, and she found King's College very sort of, you know, tight and stiff upper lip and other things. Um, but she was only concerned with her uh, with her work, um, but there was already uh, another research scholar uh, by the name of Morris Wilkins, and um, she was to work, uh, I mean, she thought she was being called to do separate work, but then um, he thought that she was going to work with him as a research um, mm -hmm. scholar, <laughs> i.e. under him. So she was very uptight and she, she wouldn't put up with any nonsense. Mm. So she ticked him off and so the relationship, um, you know, were very rocky right um, from the yeah. beginning. And then, of course, uh, in Cambridge, in Cavendish Lab, Watson was just very ambitious and he would come to King's College and say what's happening here and this and that. And because Wilkins wasn't getting on with her, they, they did get on at the beginning and she would, they would go and have lunch together. I mean, it was a very different world. Yeah. At King's, there was no, the, the high um, uh, dining hall, high table dining hall, um, no women were allowed. And, and she was the only one in the lab, although there were eight female scientists in the whole science mm. lab in King's College uh, of Rosalind Franklin. And it all came to a head in 1962 when they were awarded um, mm. uh, the Nobel Prize and no mention was her uh, mm. of hers was made. Mm. So people say that this is not the way science research should be done. So you're auditioning for actors at the moment. That's why you're here today. I am, absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely, yeah. absolutely. I need six male actors so, to play the roles of six scientists, male scientists, yeah. and um, they are, you know, they make history. Uh, so that, and then one woman. When are the auditions, first of all, and where are they? The auditions are uh, uh, at the end of uh, September, the last weekend, which is Saturday 28th and Sunday 29th, uh, and it's from 11 a.m. to 1 p.m., uh, and then it is in October also, the following week, early October, uh, Saturday 5th and Sunday 6th from the same time, 11 a.m. to 1 p.m. The place is uh, 9 West Road, Cambridge. It is the English department uh, of Cambridge University and it's called Judith E. Wilson Studio, Faculty of English, 9 West Road, Cambridge. And my telephone number for any inquiries and uh, is 01223-368-231. And my email is rdrew at waitrose.com. So if people could send inquiries to my email, then I will send them the written, mm. you know, audition times and place. And I will also send them a synopsis and summary of the Play. Rani thank you very much indeed.
If you fancy a refreshing burst of new contemporary oil paintings, colourful prints and eye-catching ceramics, you might be tempted into the Unitarian Church in the city centre on November the 25th. 16 local artists are presenting an exhibition, Cambridge Christmas, in its sixth year and encourages people to take in some mulled wine and contemplate giving something a bit different this Christmas or simply take a look and talk to the artists about their work. Cambridge painter and printmaker Joe Tumner is exhibition organiser. Here we are in a wonderfully um, bright and spacious house surrounded by all of your wonderful artwork. Um, tell me a little bit about yourself because um, originally um, you trained at the London College of Furniture and then at Cambridge School of Art, didn't you? That's right, yeah. yes. That's, uh, it seems a long time ago now, but yes. Your paintings are actually, um, so I'm told, are quite well known in Cambridge and, <laughs> and also something that many people may have seen um, on the stairwells of um, Addenbrooke's Hospital. How did they come to be there? Um, I did a show uh, mm. with Adam Brooks Arts mm. um, in the corridors in 2010, I think it was now, and um, it, it was received very well, so I was then um, commissioned by uh, the Charitable Trust to produce three artworks for the stairwells. So, and, and what I love about them is that they're not necessarily in your face, you might, if you pop up into the stairwells, you'll suddenly see them, and uh, people still contact me now to say how lovely and what a surprise they were and how much they cheer them up. Mm -hmm. I'm known as a landscape painter and yeah. I've recently gone into printmaking. Um, so it, it really is about where I've been. Um, and then I come back to the studio and I start painting. However, my printmaking is based solely on Cambridge City and at the moment Oxford City. I'm looking at those two cities in particular. That's quite a recent departure for for, um, for you. I mean, I'm looking at some of your prints, wonderfully um, colourful scenes from um, Cambridge. You've just been exhibiting in Oxford as well, haven't you? That's right. I've yeah. just literally yeah. yesterday come back from a show at Oxford University for the whole weekend, for the alumni weekend. So it's been constant, non-stop work, yeah, but it's yeah. great, it's great fun, and they've been well received, so. Um, your landscapes use uh, almost electrically bright um, colours to give you a real burst of, uh, of colour, and, and, and yet they also have this kind of um, ambiguous, distant form thing um, in them. What is it that you try to do with them? Um, what comes up for many times uh, from, from customers uh, who buy my work yeah is that they love the fact that they they can look into one of my paintings and think, well, where's it going? Yeah. What's in the background? And I think that's really what sums me up, you know, what I try and achieve in all my work and what and my events is that you don't quite know what you're going to get. Yeah. And I suppose that really is runs through all of my work. So when you look at an oil painting of mine, in the landscape, you're, you're looking, oh, what is that in the distance? I'm not quite sure. And you're using the, the viewer's imagination in, in a way to fill in the rest, aren't you? And that That's creates right. a bond between the person who's looking at the painting and, and, and the painting itself. Because absolutely. what's left out, you, you fill in with your own mind, don't you? Absolutely, yeah, yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah. And I often don't say in a, in, titles are very important in, yeah. in your work. Yeah. And so I'll often not say, this is... Norfolk or, or whatever. It's very much about questioning the viewer's mind. Mm. We're here to talk about um, an exhibition coming up on the 25th of November called Cambridge Christ Christmas, which That's is right. at the Unitarian Church behind Emmanuel College. Um, this um, house was actually, it's in its sixth year now, isn't it? It is, yeah. yes. And this house was actually the birthplace of that um, event. Can you tell me how it all began? Uh, well, we lived in California, Southern California, for several years, yeah, yeah. and um, it was quite a thing where a group of us would gather uh, for the odd evening to showcase our work, invite the neighbours, invite friends, invite colleagues, and really showcase and sell our work in a, a sort of unusual but friendly, warm environment. And when we came back, um, I decided to try and recreate that here, hmm. um, but on a larger scale. And so I invited nine um, of my friends, um, art, you know, artists, painters, jewellers, ceramicists, to come and show in my house and um, we decked it out in fairy lights and um, made mulled cider. We produced professional cards that we posted through all our local streets. And so it was so unusual at that time that people came and because you came around the corner and the house was all lit up with fairy lights 
And I do remember one little girl walking past saying, oh my goodness, that's the Las Vegas of Cambridge. <laughs> it really did. You, it was like a Belisha beacon. Yeah. And because we live in a cul-de-sac, it yeah. you really was. It really was quite spectacular. Um, and it was so successful, we had people queuing out into the street yeah. that I thought, okay, there is something special here. Yeah. It's only in Cambridge that you can do things in Absolutely. that way. Absolutely, and I love about Cambridge yeah, is it's yeah. full of independent makers and yeah. you never quite know what's around the corner. Yeah. Okay, so there are 16 local artists um, exhibiting. Can you tell me a little bit, is Katerina Klug from the Anglian Potters, is she exhibiting there as well? Yep, Katerina, yeah. uh, um, is, this, is, this will be her third year with us. Yeah. Um, so I sometimes invite people back um, and for a couple of years, two, three years, sometimes there's new ones each year. Um, but Katerina is be her third year and uh, she's got a wonderful range as usual um, mm. that you'll find and along with the other ceramicists there's Rachel Dormer who is another fantastic ceramicist based in Cambridge mm. um, who's known for her more retro work. Mm. Then we have Amanda McPhail who, who designs quirky, fun, lively mm. pieces. So they're the ceramicists, the three ceramicists we have. Okay, so that's the 25th of November from one o'clock onwards at the Unitarian Church um, behind Emmanuel College. It looks like it's set to be an absolutely fabulous event. Um, Joe Tumner, thank you very much indeed for talking to Cambridge 105. Thank you very much. It's time to take a look at a brief pick of what's coming up in the city in the coming weeks. The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy is staged as a live radio show at the Corn Exchange on Friday, October the 4th, with stars from the original radio and TV cast, including Simon Jones as Arthur Dent. Kettle's Yard is currently running a new photographic exhibition entitled Objects in the Field, featuring the work of artist Sophie Rickett, with an astronomy theme based around the work of scientist Dr. Roderick Wilstrop, which runs through until the 3rd of November. Cambridge Classical Concert Series kicks off on October the 17th with Tchaikovsky's Symphony Orchestra of Moscow Radio at the Corn Exchange, featuring Beethoven, Rachmaninoff and Tchaikovsky scores. And that brings us to the end of this programme, and I hope you enjoyed listening in to Arts Roundup on Cambridge 105. Send us details of your creative project if you'd like to. 